Hey everyone, welcome to the Voice for Israel podcast. Visit us at voiceforisrael.com and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other fine podcasting services. I'm your host, Peter Reitzis in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Our topic today is you don't have to choose between Black Lives Matter and Israel, which is the title of a recent column in the foreword written by today's guest, Carly Pildes. Miss Pildes, did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. Thank you. Good job. Awesome. Miss Pildes serves as a full-time columnist at The Forward and was named one of The Forward's 50 Most Interesting and Influential Jews in America for 2019. Carly Pildes has been featured in Politico, The Washington Post, CNN, The Jerusalem Post, and elsewhere. So let's start here. You are a Zionist. What do you love about Israel and why is Israel important to you? I love the moment when you land in Israel and you see that huge sign that says, welcome home. I love walking in the old city at night. And I always think about Jewish history and the violence and oppression and systemic disenfranchisement and just the ability to be in that place and see it close to how it looked thousands of years ago and touch the walls. It always makes me feel so close to something in our culture and in our souls that so many individuals, institutions, and nations have tried to stamp out and to see it alive and breathing and vibrant uh, is so deeply meaningful for me. Uh, I love being in Israel. I love spending time there. I was really blessed to bring my husband to Israel a couple years ago. That was a really moving experience for us both. I look forward to bringing my daughter one day. Um, And just the ability to connect to ourselves and to who we are as Jews on a level that is both very deep and very sort of visceral and physical, it's just really incredible. Everyone should get to do it at least once. And when you began answering there, you gave me chills because I was not aware of the welcome home sign, but it sure feels like going home, doesn't it? I had this amazing moment with my husband who converted when he went to Israel with me. uh, And he said, I feel like I've been welcomed home. That that is fantastic. Um, So in response to hearing Black Lives Matter, some people still respond, all lives matter. Could you please explain to us why the all lives matter response to Black Lives Matter causes so much pain? Sure. So when people are talking about Black Lives Matter and they're putting out the statement, they're responding to a history of deep violence against Black Americans, of slavery, of systemic racism, systemic inequality, and really pushing back against that history to assert Black dignity and fight for Black liberation. So, you know, when you say Black Lives Matter, the point isn't that other people don't. It's that we are in a country, in its history and in its systems, that has devalued Black life. And it is a radical act of fighting back against that white supremacy and that white nationalism and just the deep, deep systemic inequality and injustice and really pushing back at the roots of that. So when you respond with all lives matter, what you're doing really is, is watering down 
and attacking an attempt to assert basic dignity for a group that still faces deep oppression in this country. Uh, and, and I also, you know, sometimes when people ask me, well, why is that offensive? I said, well, how would you feel if after the Tree of Life shooting, someone walked up to you and said, yeah, but I mean, lots of people have had hate crimes. Why should we spend a week or two weeks or a moment even talking about American Jews? And picture how hurt you would feel and how mad you would feel. So when a community is talking about its own oppression and how they experience it and fighting for their dignity, responding by belittling them and saying, well, we all matter, it's really offensive and hurtful. And I'll say this, I think some people aren't used to having a moment when whiteness isn't being centered and blackness is. And I think that's overwhelmingly a good thing for America and a good thing for people to be challenged on. In your column, you don't have to choose between Black Lives Matter and Israel. You wrote, quote, in August of 2016, the movement for Black Lives put out its policy platform. Among a list of social justice initiatives, it included an inflammatory, deeply anti-Zionist policy brief, which put forth an ahistorical and lopsided version of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The platform was immediately met with widespread condemnation from the Jewish community, end quote. And I'll add, it was met with condemnation from the left wing and the right wing, which was Mm -hmm. reassuring. Um, And let me also add, the platform accused the Jewish state of genocide and labeled Israel as an apartheid state. So what do you say, Carly, to people listening who fear that they can't support Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter is sometimes used to attack Israel and the Jewish people? So a couple of points. One, I think it's worth really understanding different models of organizing and of community relations. In the Jewish community, we're used to a very top-down hierarchical model, and Black Lives Matter is a very decentralized, non-hierarchical movement. There are major plus sides and downsides to both models, but you know when you see a policy put forth by APAC or the Federation or a JCRC, you can be assured that you know everyone's voted on it. And everyone has buy-in and everyone really is sort of fully behind each individual policy. Black Lives Matter really has embraced something far looser and far more decentralized. There are really substantive debates within the Black Lives Matter world and Black Lives Matter activism. There's just really substantive debate about policy and even some debate about whether pushing policy should be the goal. So, you know, even when you see something like the Movement for Black Lives Matter platform, there's substantive disagreement between them, a group like Campaign Zero, the Black Lives Matter uh, website itself, which has very different sort of stated goals for 2020. And it's just worth understanding that just because a portion of Black Lives Matter is pushing a policy, it does not mean that there's unified buy-in. Karen Bass, who's an incredible member of Congress and uh, the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, made a really strong point 
when speaking to JDCA earlier this year, you know, a lot of people marching for Black Lives Matter have never read the platform, don't know anything about the platform, and certainly aren't there because they have any feelings on Israel at all. They're marching against police brutality. You know, Dure McKesson and Alita Garza have had really substantive disagreements on policy. You know, police reform versus police abolition, defunding police versus funding reform. These are really substantive debates. And I think it's really worth the community understanding that, by that I mean the Jewish community, sort of writ large, understanding that it is a movement that has a lot of room for debate. And I'll share with you that my Facebook feed, which is filled with great people, has really embraced Black Lives Matter. And I, I'm a speech therapist. I, I work in the public schools. I'm, of course, speaking on my own behalf. And so many of my colleagues have publicly and openly embraced, embraced Black Lives Matter. And my gut is amongst the people I know who have correctly, in my view, embraced Black rights and civil rights, I don't think any of them are aware that there is an issue regarding Israel. You know, they're there to support their friends, their colleagues, their family members who are people of color. They're not there for Israel. It leaves somebody like me who has feel, who feels a little bit pushed out of Black Lives Matter because of the anti-Israel platform. It, it gives me some hope that so many people I know are not even aware of the anti-Israel platform. Is that making any sense to you? Absolutely. And I'll point to two, you know, really high profile examples. Mayor Muriel Bowser has emerged as a real national leader and provocateur on the issue. You know, she famously changed L'Enfant Plaza to Black Lives Matter Plaza. For those of you who don't know, that's directly in front of the White House. And then she painted Black Lives Matter across the center of it. Got very provocative act at the White House and one I fully supported and then went on to push for D.C. statehood as a racial justice issue, another thing I I really agree with. She's pretty deeply pro-Israel. She speaks at APAC every year. She worked with the Jewish Community Relations Council of Greater Washington to do a trip to Israel, really focused on trade and economic relations between D.C. and Israel. And you know, the day after she pushed for an increase in funding, in part arguing that if you're going to institute reforms, you need to pay for them. A group of Black Lives Matter activists then went to the Black Lives Matter banner she had painted and wrote under it in giant yellow letters, sort of mocking it, defund police. So as you can see, I I think it's helpful to think about this in a really big cultural moment way. It's not just one organization or one coalition that is pushing this moment. It is many different people with a variety of agendas, really unified around one centralizing idea that Black lives matter and our country treats them like they don't matter. And that is the overarching thing.
This is the Voice for Israel podcast. I'm Peter Reitzes, and our guest today is Carly Pildes, who is a full-time columnist at The Forward. Uh, show notes are at voiceforisrael.com. So, Carly, you wrote in The Forward, quote, crucially, choosing to take yourself out of the racial justice movement, Black Lives Matter or otherwise, because you are pro-Israel, actually hurts Israel. It's often said in politics that if you aren't at the table, you're on the menu, which is such a great line. Can you please explain this to us, Carly? Sure. Uh, th- there's two parts of it. There's the external inter or inter- sort of us and co- other communities part, and there's the internal our own community part. Um, if we're not there, if we're not at the marches, if we're not in the rooms, if if we're not a part of these movements as people who love Israel and people who are Zionists, it doesn't mean, you know, there's a vacuum and it gets filled and it gets filled with people who are not pro-Israel and are happy to use that vacuum to push an agenda. That's not an agenda we agree with. Think of it a different way. If we're not in the room, but a figure like Linda Sarsour is, how does that service Israel? These movements are too big and have the winds of history at their back, we can't take our toys and go home. That will not service our love of Israel in any way. The second thing that I really worry about is, is the internal part. You know, when we say, and there are people saying this, that they won't be a part of Black Lives Matter because of tensions around Israel, what does that say to our Black Jewish kids? and about what we think about their worth. And what does it say to the Jews who are marching and have been? Um, And I really worry that, you know, if we, there are always going to be people saying, you can't be here, you can't be here. But if we take that on, if we say we can't be here, we have to choose between being a part of this historic outpouring of grief and rage and demand for change. You have to choose between that or choose, you know, between Israel. I worry we will lose, particularly with young people. You bring up some really good points. Uh, I heard a podcast a few years ago with a rabbi, I believe at the University of Pennsylvania. He was a really great speaker. And he brought up the point that every time he goes into a progressive space, the anti-Israel activists have gotten there first. And I think similar to what you have shared, he's pointed out if if the pro-Israel activists are not in the room, then our voice is not heard. I think that's kind of what you're saying. It is, but I want to be clear. I don't want you to go to the march and walk up to people with a sign you disagree with and start yelling at them. Yes, I want, yes, yes. I want you to be there in a non-transactional way and build real relationships and, and not expect to get anything in return. But then you will also be there. And I think it's really, I just want to say one more thing, sorry. I think it's really important to contextualize a couple things. A study came out a couple days ago, one third of black Americans know someone have lost someone to coronavirus. We're talking about communities that are being hit extraordinarily hard by the pandemic um, and by the economic ramifications of the pandemic. And on top of that, saw, you know, 
the lynching of Ahmed Aubrey. I'm very comfortable calling that a lynching. You know, I think it watched the unbearable death of George Floyd, and then also we're mourning the loss of Breonna Taylor. So I think when we go into these spaces, it's important to understand that pe- there's a lot of grief uh, and just to be respectful of that. Oh, it's really important. I mean, looking at that George Floyd video, it is unbelievable. I mean, it is a ble- I mean, it's believable because we can see it, but it is hard to explain that to anybody. It's just so atrocious. This is the Voice for Israel podcast. Our guest today is Carly Pildes, who is a full-time columnist at The Forward and so much more. So Carly, recently in North Carolina, 18 rabbis and cantors wrote and signed a statement titled North Carolina Jewish Clergy Against Systemic Racism. Voice for Israel endorsed this statement. Uh, I noticed that some Jews on the left uh, and some on the right were critical of the statement. For example, some far-left BDS-supporting Jewish organizations did not support the statement. A few strong Zionists I know have expressed frustration that 18 rabbis rabbis and cantors came together in solidarity for racial justice, but have never come together in such solidarity to support Israel. So what do you say to our Jewish brothers and sisters who are concerned that our rabbis can come together across ideological differences to support black lives, but not to support Israel? A couple thoughts here. One, I think it's great that rabbis are coming together across ideological lines to meet the historic moment that is happening in America. And I think we have an opportunity. At the moment, it feels like a big historic moment. Like there really might be big systemic change that will change untold numbers of lives. It also could not happen. It it could be lots of marches happen and we don't win anything. So, like, I, I think it's wonderful to see rabbis in Durham and elsewhere coming together to support that. I think, you know, a part of the plus side of being a really decentralized movement where policy is debated is the ability to have a big tent at moments. And that you might really disagree on policy around Israel, whether you're Jewish or not, and still support Black Lives Matter. Uh, and, and that being said, I will really caution Zionists from staying home from this moment. I think it's a huge mistake. And, and look, there are going to be people you disagree with. But, you know, if you think about like another big historic moment, you don't skip marching with John Lewis, Representative John Lewis, I should be clear, in Selma, Alabama. You don't skip that and stay home because you don't like what someone else, somewhere else, said something. You know, you don't skip the march on Washington because you disagree with some subset of the movement. I mean, I guess you can, but look at what you're missing. And I think that we, you know, we really need to think about what's on the table and what's at stake. 
and what we want the Jewish community's role to be, and not in a transactional way, not because we think we're owed something or we're going to get something or anyone's going to like owe us a favor, but because our souls are on the line, our ethics, our kids are watching. Yeah, you, you've got that right. Our souls are on the line. It's really important. And I think what – and the Zionists I know are such good people and they embrace equality. They embrace racial justice. Uh, I don't know Zionists who are opposed to racial justice. I, I think the concern is that some Zionists, including me, I have felt unwelcomed at some progressive events because of my love of Israel. And if I hear you correctly, sounds like you're saying this moment is too important to let some anti-Israel activists keep us from participating. Am, am I saying that right? Yeah. And let me reframe it a little differently in a couple of ways. One, I am sometimes in spaces with people who are not Zionists and we humanize each other. And, you know, we care about issues and we work on things together. And I'm pretty publicly pro-Israel and publicly a Zionist. It's humanizing to know each other and work together. And that is a net positive for Israel. You know, I think sometimes we get into this idea of like, but you're working, you know, across the table with someone that's not pro-Israel. It's a betrayal. Is it a betrayal or is it an attempt? You know, they might not ever meet another pro-Israel person or not someone who's willing to chat about it with them. Or even if you never talk about it, they know you and respect you, and they might not know anyone else like you. That matters. It does. That humanization, because we're in such a moment, especially with everything happening in America right now, of dehumanization uh, and of not hearing each other and not knowing each other. That's one. Two, It's not just that I think the moment is too important to miss. It's that I think sitting out this movement and whatever you can contribute to it is such a a moral failing that if we allow it to happen community-wide, it will fundamentally change who we are in a negative way. I'm a pretty religious Jew, maybe not in an obvious way, but, you know, I, I do believe that we were made with Selim Elohim in God's image. And I believe, you know, we talk about Zionism and there's justice, justice you must pursue so you are worthy of inheriting the land. We need to be worthy. And I'll say this, I, I wrote it in tablet earlier this year when there was a lot of tension around sort of the role of police in anti-Semitism you can't just throw up your hands because it's too hard and sort of let other people pay the price in pound per blood. You don't worship Hashem anymore. You worship Moloch. You know, you have to meet the moment. And it's hard. I want to be really clear. I struggle with how to meet the moment. I do these podcasts and I write articles and I donate and I do the best I can. Not everyone can do everything, but everyone can do something. And maybe that's, you know, donating to one of the many, many great racial justice organizations in this country that have never taken a stance on Israel and partner really closely with Jewish organizations. The NAACP, one of our oldest and most historic uh, civil rights organizations. Maybe that's where you're comfortable and that's where you decide to like invest and be a value add. Or maybe it's going to your synagogue and saying, 
you know, we're having this moment where we can't be together. This is the time we should have some conversations about how to make sure people of color are welcomed when they walk in the door and no one walks up to them and says, the kitchen's over there, because that happens every day. Pick your thing and contribute. That's what I'm asking of people. So I have a big question to ask you. We, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, so I want to let the listeners know that I, I did share with you that I was going to ask you this. So the Movement for Black Lives had their 2016 platform that included saying that Israel was responsible for genocide and is in an apartheid state that asked for Israel to be defunded for the United States to not give any financial assistance to Israel. From what I can gather, that statement or platform may have been removed from the website, but now I've noticed that it looks like it was re-uploaded in May of 2020. So I also want to share this with you. Uh, on August 28th, the Black Lives Matter movement is holding a virtual convention, which I know that you're very aware of because you've been interviewed about it in the Times of Israel. And the Los Angeles Times reports that the goal of this Black Lives Matter movement convention is to produce a new political agenda that seeks to build on the success of the protest that followed George Floyd's death. And they went on to say, the, the Los Angeles Times, that there's a coalition for this convention, and it includes the Dream Defenders, BYP 100, which stands for Black Youth Project 100, and Color of Change. And all three of these organizations have been involved in anti-Israel statements. So for example, the ADL has issued a warning about Dream Defenders because this organization holds the position that the state violence we experience in the United States is directly tied to the violence facing black and brown communities in Palestine. And I, I know I've already asked you this, but you know, do you think this is a is this a case of a few activists in charge making decisions about Israel? for the entire movement or or how do you see this like how like what are us zionists supposed to do with what i just shared with you i have a couple thoughts one again like there's the black lives matter coalition there's black lives matter itself and then there's sort of the diffuse overall moment of decentralized organizing that's happening and those are not always one in the same uh, I certainly find the platform language to be fairly outrageous. I do think it's worth noting that it, it is sort of couched in a broader worldview around the U.S. military and cutting military spending and the war on terror. It's not a worldview I tend to agree with. And I think that I'm very interested to see what comes out of the platform convention. I, I'm curious about how it will be moved forward. And I think that regardless, there will still be a place for, you know, regardless of what happens at that platform convention, there will be a place for people who are pro-Israel and, and are Zionist and care about racial justice. So, like, let's look at the police reform bill that passed the House. This is something that really could happen, you know, over the next period of time, that we really could pass this bill. You know, written by Hakeem Jeffries, a pro-Israel Zionist, with several other pro-Israel Zionists. There's still space for you. It may not be every moment and every corner is comfortable for you, but there are still lots of places where people 
you know, where you can make an impact on the issues and you can make an impact on people's lives in a way that it really is life and death. So I understand the discomfort with the platform and with the platform conversation. I am uncomfortable with the language in the platform. I'm not asking you to ignore it. I'm asking people to, I'm asking for people to look at the larger picture here and the opportunities that are lost when we decide to let that language disengage us. This is the last question for Carly Pildes, who has been so generous with her time today. You are a Zionist. You fight hard for Black Lives Matter. You tackle important issues. What motivates you, Carly? You know, I look at my kid, who I really love so much, and the experience of having your first kid and having them be Black and be Jewish you know, right as this country entered this time of rising hate and this time of rising anti-Semitism and this moment of reckoning on racism, it's not that I wouldn't have been motivated without it, but it contextualizes it in a different way. We've had systemic racism in this country since before we were a country. You know, you have racism, you have the history of slavery and Jim Crow and you have redlining and, and the systemic attempts to, you know, devalue black property and, and deny people access to credit. There's so much history there. But then, you know, when you're there with your family and you think about your kid and you think about how every parent works really hard to give their kid the best life. For me, this is a part of that just as much as organic baby food was or obsessing over schools is or which bike to buy her. And I think that should be true regardless of the race of your child, because I want to be clear, like anti-blackness makes America less safe for Jews and anti-Semitism makes America less safe for black people. Like the true extremists, the true violent terrorists within our country really profit off of both of those and profit immensely off of those tensions. They want to show that we can't live together, that we can't support each other, that we shouldn't be in a multicultural country, that we shouldn't be together. And at the end of the day, I I really think we have to fight for it to be better for our kids and our kids are watching. And I really urge people to remember that when we talk about these community dynamics, there are a growing number of people, particularly young people who sit in both, you know, in a variety of communities who are Jewish people of color. And what does it say to them if we decide that they're not worth showing up for? That is a great place to leave it. I want to thank you, Carly Pildes, columnist at The Forward, for joining us today on the Voice for Israel podcast. Mm -hmm.